0: Blue wire.
1: The Boston Celtics select Jason Tatum from Duke University. Round of the break for the Celtics goes around the world. Oh, the circus game in a Boston. Walker for three. Kemba Walker from downtown.
0: Tatum drives down. Let's roll the rebound.
1: Gordon Hayward for two. Gordon Hayward with a corner crash. No block out. What's up guys? In case you haven't heard, Blue Wire Studios just dropped their first original podcast, Golden Goal. The show gives you 10 minute episodes all about soccer legends and the moments that made them. Whether you're just learning about soccer for the first time or a diehard fan, this podcast is a great listen for everyone. The final two episodes are live right now or binge the entire season to learn about your favorite soccer stars. Check out Blue Wire's Golden Goal. Available anywhere you listen to podcasts. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We are brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westerholm, Celtics beat writer for Mass Live. I'm joined by Nicole Yang of the Boston Globe. Nicole, how are you?
0: Pretty good, Tom. I'm meeting up with Celtics team reporter Amanda Flugrad later tonight to go on a walk with Lil Wheezy Dog.
1: Very nice. Danny Andrews.
0: Or, I don't know what his relation to Danny is, but Danny <laughs> is it son. is it
1: Crew's dog? I don't yeah. know whose dog that is.
0: It's Crew's dog.
1: Okay, yeah, um, yeah, yeah.
0: But Crew lives with Danny.
1: Got gotcha. you. Crew yeah, yeah. is
0: Danny's youngest son, so yes. they all live together. But I don't know where they are right now. Crew,
1: I hear, is a heck of a basketball player. Plays D three ball, and from what I've gathered, he like he played Division one in Utah, and now he plays at. I'm blanking on the name of At the Boston. At Babson.
0: Sp- you Babson. can read all about it in the feature I wrote about <laughs> Karange on the Boston Globe.
1: There you go. Um, we're going to get into a few things today. We are going to start with some kind of big picture questions. Take us away with your, uh, your first kind of 10,000-foot view question here.
0: All right, Tom. Which Celtic has the most to prove in the bubble?
1: So I'm going with like kind of a generic answer here. I think that it's Jason Tatum. I think Jason Tatum needs to prove that this is actually who he is. Before the bubble, he obviously went on this unbelievable streak. He averaged 30 points a game and, you know, in, in February. He was the Eastern Conference Player of the Month. He became this like sort of budding superstar. And to be clear, I think that's what he is. I, I mean, I've, I've gone on record many times and said that I think that Jason Tatum is a future superstar, um, that he's a future top five, top ten player in the league. That being said, he had a fine start to the season, nothing too special. He sort of rounded into all-star form as the year went on. And then by February after the all-star game, he spent like a month and a half looking like a superstar The league shut down, and then everybody talked for four months about how Jason Tatum is a superstar now. To be clear, I do think he's a superstar, but I think that he has a lot to prove in that he needs to prove that this wasn't just a fluke. This wasn't just a little stretch where he got hot, and then the conversation revolved around him for a while. He needs to show that he actually can carry a team.
0: So I agree with you that this can be an opportunity for Jason Tatum to sort of cement himself in that group of budding superstars and maybe, or just like faces of the league in addition to Luca and Zion. Mm-hmm. But in terms of who has the most to prove, I think it's Kemba Walker because Jason Tatum is just coming off of his third season. If it doesn't happen during this funky bubble period, I'm sure it will happen next season. It seems like he's really come into his own. Kemba on the other hand is an eight-year veteran and he has never really had an opportunity to compete in the playoffs where it really matters like the circumstances here are perfectly laid out for Kemba like he has an extremely strong supporting cast some would argue he's a part of the supporting cast for Jason Tatum so the stage is there he's on an Eastern Conference contender it's like can he step up though and be like the veteran leader that the team needs this is a, a time for him to show that he is like playoff Kemba, and he he's never had a season go this long. Again, there was a four-month break, so this is different. But like, is his body sort of built for those long runs? Is his his play? There's so much like he's just so shifty. I don't know what the right word, but there's like a lot of pressure on his knees. So yeah. I don't know. I, I'm that's who I think has the most to prove.
1: That that's that's good reasoning and everything. I I'm curious how injured he actually is or how much of an issue this actually is, because one thing that's happened is Brad told us like somewhat offhand when these practices started that Kemba you know might miss a little time so now what happens is every single day reporters ask Brad about that because we have nothing else to ask him because we haven't seen practice there's been no games so we just keep asking him about Kemba and every single day another story is written about Kemba Walker so Kemba's knee gets like super blown maybe out of proportion I don't know if it's blown out of proportion it might be as serious as everybody yeah everybody's been talking about like oh man I don't know I'm, I'm worried about Kemba part of the reason that they are worried about Kemba is because everything that you said is true he is really shifty he has been putting tons of pressure on his knees and tons of like kind of scary pressure on his knees for quite a while the step back the the crossovers I mean when you freeze frame. some I remember I used to freeze frame Derek Rose doing like his crossovers. And when that guy would do his crossovers, his knees would be like the wrong direction. And you could just tell that there was something wrong there. And Kemba's not quite that bad. And he's a little more compact than Rose was. But there's some of that in there where you can just kind of see that's a lot of pressure that he's putting on there. So I'm with it on that one. I think for me, the thing that I'm curious about with Tatum, the reason I put him over somebody like Kemba um, is because he's been streaky. You know, he has had these stretches before where he has had really really good offense. And then he's kind of cooled off a little bit, maybe taking a step back. So that's where I am on that one.
0: Also fair. Next cue, which Celtic has the most at stake in the bubble?
1: This is a good one. Why don't you go first on this one?
0: This is kind of similar to the first one, but I think it's different in that like Kemba Walker doesn't have anything at stake. He's on a four-year max deal. I mean, maybe reputationally and like legacy-wise for Kemba, he can start thinking about that. But in terms of like the short term and his status of the team, doesn't really matter. I don't know who my final answer here is, but I'm thinking about obviously guys in a contract year. Brad Wanamaker. I guess I would put Tremont Waters in that group. But at the same time, I just can't envision a situation where Tremont Waters is going to get enough playing time to even show something to NBA teams that people don't already know.
1: I think Tremont Waters has kind of proven what he needed to prove by playing really well in the G League.
0: Exactly. Like, I think he's worthy of an NBA contract. So of those two, I think Brad Wanamaker probably will get more playing time. And so that's more of an opportunity for him to showcase himself either to other teams so he can get a contract elsewhere or to the Celtics to motivate them to re-sign him.
1: No, I think that's right. I think Wanamaker is probably the uh, probably the right call. Like, he, I'm sure he wants to stay in the United States. You know what I mean? Like if he plays really well, he's going to get another NBA contract. He's had a really good couple of years with the Celtics where he's just really good in terms of a role player, but he is a role player. Like he has shown that he can play defense. He can get out in transition. He can hit the open three. Like he's been like an insanely good free throw shooter. He can play. The question is sort of going to be have, <laughs> have either the Celtics or other teams taken enough notice of how he can play for him to get another contract. And I think that's kind of why he probably has the most at stake, but I think it's really interesting to kind of just go up and down the roster. Like Wanamaker has the most, but there. are other guys who have a lot at stake and a lot of them I don't think are going to get playing time like I'm interested in Romeo Langford at the start of the season he couldn't break into the rotation because he had all those injuries so he ended up spending some time in the G League he ended up on the bench for most of the season I mean he barely played this whole year he was the number 14 pick in the draft I don't know how Romeo proves himself, but I feel like he's got some stuff at stake here. Not as much as Wanamaker because he's on a four-year deal. He's got time. But, like, the clock is ticking a little bit for him. You know, he's, he's got to show that he can do stuff. And I will say, I think that the actual answer, if you want to get, like, really technical, is Jason Tatum. Brad Wanamaker, obviously, like, he's, he's trying to stay in the league. He's trying to stay in the NBA. Jason Tatum, I, and the thing is, he just needs to stay healthy. That's really who's got the most at stake, is Jason Tatum staying healthy. Because, yeah. again, we're talking about, like, $140 million here. You know, that's just a healthy thing and obviously you're hoping that everybody gets through this healthy and the other guy I, I would say has something at the very least at stake is uh semi Ogil- or Shemi Ogil- I think he's going to be a restricted free agent this summer yes. so he will have he's kind of determining his value right now and if the Celtics play the Bucks, he could make himself a lot of money because the Celtics are not going to be the only team that needs somebody who can guard Giannis one-on-one
0: that's a very under the radar answer I think I mean obviously Al Horford was way more established by the time he was signed by the Sixers last year but you would think that that's part of the reason why they signed Al. And like one, he was one of the guys in the Eastern Conference that could stop Joel Embiid. And two, he was one of the guys who showed to have any sort of success against Giannis. And Shemi might not be that expensive, especially compared to Al Horford.
1: And the thing about Shemi is that he's just like he's very consistent. Like when you put him on the court, you know what you're going to get. He's going to try real hard. There's so much to be said for that against Giannis, because again. We're not saying that Shemi Ojale can lock down Giannis. That is a 1,000% not what we were saying. We are saying that Shemi Ojale is strong enough to guard him one-on-one, which matters against Milwaukee's shooters. Because Milwaukee's whole system is like, put a bunch of shooters around Giannis and hope for the best, and it's made them a 60-win team.
0: Like Brad always says, you can't stop Giannis, but you can make it tougher for him. And Shemmy does do that. And he's and made- more
1: importantly, Shemmy allows you to make it tougher on Giannis's teammates.
0: Exactly. And I feel like in the past, the concern with having Shemi on the court is he's basically like a non-factor offensively. Shemi has shown growth. He actually can knock down three-point shots and sort of have a presence on that end of the court, too. Uh,
1: as our good friend uh, Jam Packard would say, he's shown a real growth mindset. So, no, yeah, I mean, I cannot stress how important this is to Shemi. He shot 36.7% from three this year. He's going to be in the NBA. That is all he needed to do to be an NBA player, and he did
0: it. Moving on. So we've sort of touched on this one, but... Does Jason Tatum's performance in the bubble really matter?
1: So for me, it depends how you define matter. Let's talk about physics. (laughs) Um, No, I I think does it matter in terms of like specific performance? Does it matter in terms of money? No. Assuming he comes out of the bubble completely healthy or even a little banged up, he's getting the max. You know, he has earned that. Does it matter in terms of the conversation around the league? Yeah, I think absolutely. Absolutely. Right now, if you ask who are the most promising players in the NBA, like you said, I think there's basically four that anybody would say. They would say Zion, they would say Luka, they would say um, Trey Young, and they would say Jason Tatum. It's time for Tatum to prove that because one of the reasons that he's in that is because he's had playoff success. Like that's a big part of why he is considered who he is. So it's time to show, you know, it's time to show your playoff success and it's time to kind of prove everything that you've done this year.
0: Right. No, I agree. I think in terms of his standing with the team, I honestly don't think it matters. Mm. I think the Celtics will still continue to build around him and Jalen Brown. I think the Celtics will still- I don't have
1: a choice at this point. (laughs) Anthony Davis is a Laker.
0: (laughs) I think the Celtics will continue to view him as the best player on the team. That sort of leads us into the last cue, which is, does it matter how the Celtics perform in the bubble? And that's probably the highest of the 10,000 feet. So, interpret that, however, up to twenty
1: thousand feet now. let's go. <laughs>
0: you wish, but, like, yeah, what do you think?
1: I mean, yeah, I think yes. I don't think it's likely, but I think that there is a chance that the Celtics could win the championship this year. Would I pick them? No, I would pick the bucks to go to the finals, and then I would you can go from there. But I don't think it's impossible. I think that there are scenarios in which the Celtics can win, and like, you know, for all the talk, that you and I specifically had about asterisks and everything else, this would still be a championship. And, like, that's what you build toward. That's how you build a team. You build a team to try to win a championship. And especially in the modern game where people move around a lot and, like, I mean, it certainly seems like the Celtics have two stars for, like, the foreseeable future, but, like, four years down the line, three years, two years, whatever, what if if somebody requests a trade? Like, you don't know. So I think it matters because if you have a small chance, however small to win a championship, then the championship window is open for you a little bit and you have to try to take advantage of those opportunities because they do not come around often. Like the Celtics last championship was 2008 and they are one of the premier franchises in the NBA. Their window closed basically in 2010 and I know they almost made the finals in 2012 and almost in 2018, but like their realistic window closed in 2010. So that's a decade. So yeah, I think think that this matters a lot. I I think this is going to be a real Important stretch for them.
0: Okay. So obviously, a championship matters. There's no denying that. Even if it's under these circumstances, a championship means anything to any of these playoff teams right now. What about if they lose in the first round? I don't think that matters. I think that will be a disappointment for sure for the organization. But There's just such an easy scapegoat right now of the circumstances that I just don't think that it will matter. I don't think it will matter if they lose in the first round, in the Eastern Conference semifinals, in the Conference finals. I think only if they win the championship, obviously, will it make a difference. But in terms of when they lose in the playoffs, I really don't know if it matters.
1: I don't think it matters, like, structurally. They've already kind of built this around Kemba and Jalen and Jason. Like, that was the aftermath of 2018-19, was that, like, you had to have a path. Here it is. Jalen and Jason are your your building blocks, and you go from there. I think it does matter around the studs, like the drywall that you put up to to create the walls. Like, I I think that matters because... Tom is
0: redoing his basement.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I think when you look at, like, the pieces around it, like, the guys that they might keep, the guys that they might trade. I mean, you know, we talked about it before. Like, if Shemi has a great series against Giannis, you know, he probably sticks around. If he doesn't, I don't know. I think it matters in that way. I think you're right that, like, structurally, nothing is going to change if they lose in the first round. It's not like they're going to go out and trade Jalen. It's not like they're going to go out and trade Kemba. Like, of course not
0: right so relatively this might be on the other extreme but like for the Sixers for example this matters like is Brett Brown gonna get fired are they gonna blow it up are they gonna trade Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons like there's a lot going on with that organization in terms of how they perform even given the circumstances whereas I feel like the circumstances can serve as a cop-out whether they are I feel like they can serve as a cop-out for the Celtics I feel like they can't for a team like the Sixers at this point
1: I think the same could probably be said of like the Bucks. I think that if they get bounced before the championship, like they're hmm, that organization is looking at a a lot, a lot of pain. Right. It, it is kind of interesting to look at teams in kind of that lens. Like, I think you're right that it's the Sixers and the Bucks for whom this really, really matters. And then I think for kind of the rest of the teams, it doesn't. Like, I, I think that's why the Sixers are so interesting, is because they have so much at stake. It, it'll it'll certainly be the narrative if the Sixers make a run. Like, oh, they Definitely. had to they had to save everything. Definitely. All right, guys, we're gonna take a quick break to hear from Bet Online. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. And there's no better place to start than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Get in on the action for this week's big UFC fight, or check out odds on NASCAR, Formula One, and the Premier League. Can't wait for your team to come back? Bet Online has futures odds, including win totals, division winners, and even league championships. Or check out daily simulations of Madden and NBA 2K to watch and wager on. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE you online, your online wagering experts.
0: Okay, so one listener did reach out and DM'd me about whether we were going to address sort of the topics that were talked about in a couple of Washington Post stories. So the major one obviously being about the toxic Washington Redskins organization. And a bunch of women came forward from former employees of the team to media talking about how they were treated by the men in that organization. And just, it was awful. And one of the people quoted in the stories, my good friend, Nora Princiati. So she had actually told me about this man that she talks about in the story. And it's awful. And you have so much respect for these people to go on record and to speak about their experience, especially while still reporting on the league. Because you don't know how people will react. But it's important to bring light to these issues. And I think the sentiment on Twitter was sort of obviously everybody is in support of Nora and the other women that spoke up but this isn't surprising because so many women have their own stories so I think I'll share two stories that sort of just capture in my opinion like the bullshit for lack of better word that like women just have to deal with in this industry that I feel like men just it doesn't happen to them at all so The first one is that one time I was recording, I was taking video of a player, and his father also, I think Tom knows this story, his father also was nearby, and after I was done, he was like, hey, would you mind sending me that video? Like, that's my son. He introduced himself, and I was like, oh yeah, no problem. And so he goes, do you want my email or my phone number? And getting phone numbers is a whole nother thing as a female journalist, and how you go about that. So I was like, this could be a good time to get a player's dad's phone number. He could be a good source. He could be a good interview subject down the line. So I say phone number. He gives out his phone number. And literally before I even send him the email, he goes, but only text me after 2 a.m. And when you show up, make sure you're wearing something different. And it's like, okay, what am I supposed to say to that? I could call him out, but then it's like, he could sour his son against me. If he sours his son against me, his son could sour the locker room against me. Like there's just so many consequences off of that. So what I did was just awkwardly laugh. And that's like usually the response in these situations is like, you are afraid to say something because you don't want to jeopardize any professional opportunities. It just is uncomfortable. So you don't really know how to react in the moment. It's so
1: unexpected. Like, how could you have predicted that something like that would happen?
0: Because I have had good interactions with players' dads. So you don't think, you don't expect that's going to happen. And then when it hits you, you're like, oh. And then he continued to be inappropriate for the rest of the evening. And we have since had a few correspondences, and some of them are normal. But I've never gone to him for a story, and I don't know if I will. We'll cross that line if the opportunity ever arises. But it's just like, okay, that happened, sick. For me, like, all I want to do is, like, pursue original stories, like, pursue original reporting, and be taken seriously. So that's just, like, frustrating when stuff happens that sort of impedes that for, like, really no other reason than, like, you're a young girl. And so... The other story that I'll share involves like just the media. And I think this is literally my first week around the team. I remember I was at the garden. Like I was meeting everyone for the first time. Like I wasn't a journalism major. This was my first job out of college. And so I didn't really even know who people were in terms of like big names and stuff. Like I feel like people who study journalism know these people because they want to aspire to be them or they have had to do something on them for class. Like I don't really know who anyone is. So I'm still just meeting everyone. and this guy who i met briefly during the game dms me and is like what are you doing after this and i was like um just going home like what about you and he goes oh i have to write a story and then hopefully i'm taking you out on a date and it's like again what am i supposed to say to that i don't know who this man is i don't know what connections he has i don't know if he's like important on the beat or if he's just like whoever regardless i say like ha," and then obviously do not follow up and leave and we did not interact, but then he has continued to send me DMs that are just like, there are no response that I can really say other than like, ha ha. And so you just get this for like existing, just for, like showing up and you're doing your job, which is I think the most frustrating part. In the aftermath of the Washington Post story, a lot of people have spoken up on Twitter This quote sort of encompasses it well from someone who works for NFL Network. She said, the truth is that most of us have found ourselves awkwardly laughing off inappropriate comments, bending over backwards to make comfortable a man who just made us uncomfortable. Because you're just afraid of like what they're gonna do because they don't take rejection well. They could like aim to take you down. And then like, especially as someone who doesn't have much clout, I'm left with like no recourse. So those, I think, are just, like, good examples of, like, small, like, everyday things that just happen, and it's like, okay, great, like, we're all trying to just do our jobs here, and you just have this bullshit that, like, makes things a little bit tougher. The last thing I'll say, a shout out to not just because he's my podcast host, but a shout out to Tom and his beat partner, John Corrales, because every time we're on the same road trip, they always tell me which hotel they're staying in so we can stay in the same hotel because like this seems like such a small thing. And I've expressed my appreciation to Tom before and I started crying and I don't view myself as a crier, but Tom has seen me cry like multiple times. (laughs) Like that seems like such a small thing, but it literally relieves so much stress for me and other people in my position. Like that's talked about a lot among women is how much we dread the, whether it's drive or walk home from the arena, because usually you're in a city you aren't familiar with. Getting an Uber from an arena is already a process in general in terms of where to go. It's usually after midnight. So all the staff is gone and can't direct you. So I appreciate like Tom and John because they always tell me where they're staying. They always travel with me to and from the arena. If I'm still finishing my story, they'll wait. It seems like such a small thing, but it makes such a difference. And like Mina Kimes once shared another example of this. Like when you're on an elevator, obviously it's like chivalrous to let the women walk off. But honestly, most often we would prefer that you guys walk off just so we can like have the reassurance that we're not being followed. Obviously, with Nina, she has recognizability at that point too. But like, I feel like most reporters agree with that sentiment. It's much easier, especially if you're traveling alone, to have like that peace of mind. You can just go to your room and like nobody is behind you, and like we'll take note of your room number, things like that.
1: The first thing I want to say is I really hope the guys who listen to this podcast, I hope you're listening to everything that like Nicole just said because like think about implementing all that stuff in your life and how insane it would have to be for you. The guys who are listening to have to implement all that stuff because we don't like everything that Nicole is saying that she has to consider is insane to me because I never have to think about that because I am a man, you know, that's, that's the inequality of it. The other thing I wanted to say that I think is is really important is like this, this gets said a lot, but it's true. Like we just have to be like better about this stuff. Like we just have to be better. It's not, Like Nicole said, what is a woman supposed to say to to in those situations? Like what would a person say to that? These these situations that women are put in, there is no good way to get out of it. And like it's completely unfair to be put in that position because, like you said, this is your career you're talking about. Like this is these are people that you might have to interview again. The guy that you that you mentioned in your first story, like The first thing that a reporter does is they try to get people's phone numbers. Like those are like commodities. Like you try to gather those things because you might need to call people. So the most natural thing in the world is to say, I'll take your phone number. That's great. You got his phone number. You like, you can call him when you need him. And then the first thing that pops up is this like inappropriate stuff. And it's just like, that's messed up. That, That puts you in such an awful position. And I just I think about like the women who I work with yourself, Nicole. Like you are really, really talented. And um, you know, you and I try to write very similar stories. And I think that's one of the reasons why I've always like I've always thought that like one, we would make good podcast partners because we think kind of in similar ways. And and two, why I always enjoy reading your stuff. Like you're you're really good at this. And I think the thing that drives me nuts is I think about like how how much of of women in sports you guys are expected to be not just like reporters. You were expected to be like almost like a hashtag, like women in sports, like you guys have to deal with this stuff. I would assume that a lot of women in sports would just like to do their damn job. Men have to fix this because it's not like, it's the things that are happening are not your fault. Does that make sense? Does that crack?
0: No, for sure. I mean, I think I would say like, it's not just men. There are women that align themselves with barstool or other damaging entities or personalities that make things more difficult for other women. So, I, I really do think, like, in my eyes right now, I think the key is just like doing sort of what has been laid out on Twitter, like doing that self audit. Because if everyone does that, then hopefully, like, yeah. there can be some change. But, like, just doing that self audit of looking at like your work, like, how often are you writing about women? Because, yeah, obviously, we cover the NBA, there are no female athletes. You can find ways to still incorporate female voices into your story and like how often are you writing about women other than the fact that they're like making history for being like the first female and to be like (laughs) an assistant coach on the celtics you know yeah like find ways to give their voices to whether it's like a player's mom or like allison feaster beyond just the fact that she was hired like finding ways yeah. to incorporate them into their coverage, same with people of color. And then of course, just like within the media itself, how often are you sharing like work of women? How often are you interacting with like women and people of color and things like that? Are you are you just staying close knit to your like white male circle? And when I say you, I'm not saying no, yeah. Tom, cause course, Tom yeah. is like one of the good ones, but like just <laughs> in general, like how often are you just keeping to your like circle of white male friends? Because again, that just like contributes to the sort of like toxic environment of sports media because it's that bubble of white males that have like that security that everybody's like trying to penetrate. So self audit yourself and try and like elevate women's voices, try and find female subjects and things like that.
1: And one thing I would say about that is that like, it doesn't have to be this like altruistic thing. Like it's not that it's not that you have to like be like, oh man, she's trying so hard. Let me RT. No, we had Mirren Fader on. It's it's not altruistic to retweet her life of Lamelo story. It's <laughs> really, like these women right. are insanely talented. Like it's not altruistic to be like support Abby Chin. She's one of the best like sideline reporters in the game. Like these are not these are not things that like you know that, that you have to like sacrifice somehow. And I would just say too that like it's not altruistic to like, to just be like friends with (laughs) women. You know what I mean? Like, like Nicole is one of my favorite people to have a conversation with in the world. And like, that's not, so I'm not like sacrificing something by doing this. Do you know what I mean? Like this isn't something that should be like the guys should look at and be like, well, I guess I'll take my vitamins today. It's like, no, nah, dude, like you could just have like really good friends who you have really good conversations with, or you could read really good work by really talented people. And again, this comes back to like what you were saying about like, it shouldn't just be like, okay, a woman who's the first to do something. You also shouldn't just like retweet the woman who says, hey, support women. You know what I mean? Like you should be like support it. like just like read their stuff. It's good, I promise. You know, and some of it's bad. That's the same as men. You know what I mean? Like it's the same thing. So it, this doesn't have to be altruism. This doesn't have to be like a, a difficult thing this can be like really good for everyone so right
0: like we know even for this podcast like we want to make sure we have female guests like mirin and more like we need to make an effort to do that but it just like you said it doesn't have to be this like big ordeal it's just
1: and i would also say that like if, if you're not following them if you're like oh they never come across my timeline then start following them because their coverage is just as good if not better and and then right. you'll get good stuff on your timeline that you want to retweet like right all right, guys. Ordinarily here, we would uh, do our little confidence that the season is going to go on thing. I think we can uh, skip that for now, um, and we'll postpone it till Thursday. We really appreciate you all for listening. And, and again, if anybody wants to reach out and wants to wants to get in touch with us, we would love to talk. DM either of us, at Nicole C. Yang at Tom underscore NBA. We appreciate you all. We appreciate anybody who can leave a, a comment or a review. That stuff really helps us. Thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you on Thursday.